Good morning. Glad you could be here. And if you're watching online, glad you could do that. And down in F3 as well. Um, this <clears throat> is a map. I know for some of you younger ones, you probably have no idea what this is. <laughs> but um, we used to use these things to give, uh, like this is a regional map of uh, kind of the eastern part of the United States. There's a southeastern part. And gives a, you know, where roads are and, the, and secondary roads and, and mileage uh, um, in between places. And the value of this <clears throat> was that you can kind of get the whole landscape. You can kind of see the whole picture of where you're going and um, how long it's going to take you to get there. Um, unlike this stupid thing, which uh, just, um, you know, you, all you got is that little picture in front of you or, the, or, or there on, on your vehicle. This thing is wonderful because it, it lays out the whole broad perspective of, uh, of where you're going. Um, so kids, ask your folks to take you to a museum and you can, uh, <clears throat> you can see one of these things uh, there, maps, um, getting the perspective. Well, we have started a, a study of the book of Acts, but still flying at that 35,000 foot level to get this broad perspective, this overview a little bit of how, and, and, and how and where the book of Acts fits in to that broad um, biblical landscape. We started that last week, uh, how Adam and Eve disobeyed God. They took of the forbidden fruit, the whole world, all of creation is plunged into ruin. God said, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die, and that's what happened. Death came, um, and yet God began this, um, the heart of God began this redemptive plan uh, to put this messed up, crazy world back together again. A redemptive uh, plan of God, that golden thread, and it's woven throughout Scripture. He came to a man uh, by the name of Abraham, a worshiper of the moon god in the land of the Chaldees, and he said, Abraham, um, in you all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm going to reassert my glory, and there will be worldwide blessing um, and I'm going to use you and your family. It was called the Abrahamic Covenant, the promise of God to, to Abraham. Um, centuries later, God came to King David, of the, the lineage there of the tribe of Judah. And God says to King David, your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. David, through your lineage, I'm going to reassert my glory on this earth again. I'm going to reestablish my rightful rule. I'm going to put everything back together again, and I'm going to use your family, your lineage, to get it done. And as the centuries rolled on, that promise, that, that, uh, those words of hope, that redemptive plan continued to be unfolded, like through the prophets. Uh, Jeremiah the prophet, uh, God spoke through him in Jeremiah 31 in this, what's called this new covenant. Days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Jacob, or Judah. Not like the covenant which I made to their fathers, my covenant which they broke, but this is the covenant which I will make. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. 
and I'll forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. God says, I'm going to make a promise. Here's my plan. I'm going to make things right. And instead of writing my commandments and my requirements to reassert my righteous rule on this earth again on tablets of stone, I'm going to write it in your heart. And you'll obey me. Prophet Ezekiel, it's worded this way. I will make a covenant of peace with them and eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them and the places around my hill a blessing. I will cause showers to come down in their seasons. They will be showers of blessing, like God told Abraham. In you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. I'm going to raise up my people. I'm going to put my law in your heart. I'm going to guarantee that my plan of redeeming this fallen world back to itself is going to work. There will be showers of blessing on this earth once again. He said it this way in chapter 37 of Ezekiel. They will live on the land that I gave to Jacob, my servant, in which your fathers lived. And they will live on it, they and their sons and their sons' sons, forever. And David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting covenant with them. God says, I promise. Like, like the promise I made in the covenant with Abraham, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. Like the promise I made in my covenant with David, he's going to sit on the throne, a lineage of David forever. I'm promising you forever there will be a covenant of peace. I'm going to put this world back together again. The prophet Isaiah spoke it this way in Isaiah 54. For the mountains may be removed and the hills may shake, but my loving kindness will not be removed from you. And my covenant of peace will not be shaken, says the Lord who has compassion on you. Or the very next chapter, in chapter 53, 55, verse 3, I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies that were shown to David. I promise you, God says, that golden thread of hope, of, of um, anticipation that God is going to put this world back in proper working condition as he created it to be. He says, it's going to happen, I promise. You see, the prophets were prophesying that there was going to be one day a coming new age, <clears throat> not the way the world understands it, but a new time, a, 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 a time on this earth of peace and righteousness, of wholeness, of shalom. And this coming new age was called by the prophets this, this new covenant blessings. It would be blessings as outlined by the prophets, like I'm going to forgive your sins, your iniquities I will remember no more. I'm going to put my law on your hearts. You will obey me because you can do nothing but there's going to be physical and material blessings. The very presence of God's anointed Messiah is going to reign on the throne of David forever. All those promises are going to come to fruition. God says, I promise it. What I promised in Genesis chapter 3, that the head crusher will come, the he of the seed of the woman, who's going to put everything right, he's going to come. But there was something else that was going on or that will be going on in this, this new age of, of new covenant blessings. And we didn't talk about it last week, but I want to focus on it this morning. And that is that God's 
Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, was going to be poured out upon mankind in a way that it, it, it never had, uh, he had never had before. God promises that his very presence through the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, was going to be poured out upon mankind. Now, the Holy Spirit is mentioned something like seven, eight times in the Old Testament. And over half of those times refers to this coming new age blessing, this new covenant time where he is going to be poured out in power upon mankind. Uh, it's very significant. That's a very, very significant thing in the Old Testament. For instance, Isaiah chapter 44, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. Or Ezekiel chapter 36, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Or Joel chapter 2, <clears throat> it will come about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. The Holy Spirit plays this significant role, the third person of the Trinity, this third person of the, 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 the Trinitarian Godhead is going to play a crucial role in the coming new covenant era that has been prophesied, that golden thread of hope. God is going to bring that about through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, um, the question is, so when is this going to happen? It is significantly taught in the Old Testament. I'm going to pour out my spirit and the blessings that I had promised since the beginning of Genesis chapter 3, throughout all the prophets, those blessings are going to fall. There will be showers of blessing because my spirit is going to be poured out. But when, God, when is this going to happen? Well, we studied the book of Isaiah a couple of, number of years ago. And um, in Isaiah chapter 40, uh, there are words of comfort. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, comfort, oh, comfort my people. And he's saying, I'm going to, let me give you comfort because I've got a plan. And it starts with, he says, a voice. A voice is calling, clear the way of, for the Lord in the wilderness. Make smooth in the desert a highway for our God. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed. A voice is going to come and say, prepare the way of the Lord. Then the glory of the Lord is going to come, like Habakkuk 2.14 says, and we'll, we'll fill this earth like the waters cover the sea. But again, when is the then? <laughs> When's that going to take place? When's that going to happen? 300 years after Isaiah had prophesied that, the last prophet recorded in the Old Testament Malachi said it this way, or God did through the prophet, Behold, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord. He's coming. 
a voice is going to cry in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, and as sure as Malachi was saying that, God is going to return and he's going to set up these eternal blessings on earth. But listen to the voice. And so this coming new covenant era, this messianic age of blessing, where God is going to put back everything together again that has been messed up because of the fall of man, because of the sinful heart of man. This outpouring and the coming of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, is going to be announced ahead of time by the voice, a messenger, who will clear the way before the Lord. Well, after Malachi said that, the voice of God is silenced. And for the next 400 years, nothing happens. I mean, God is silent. No prophet speaks. No one rises up and says a word from the Lord. It's just quiet. And then one day, it happens. It's recorded in Mark's gospel. Mark chapter 1 starts out this way in verse 1. The beginning of of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and now he quotes from that Isaiah 40 passage. Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sin. There it was, according to Mark in the gospel account. 400 years of silence. God hadn't said a thing. And then all of a sudden, this guy dressed in camel's hair and who was eating locusts and wild honey appears on the scene. Prepare the way of the Lord. He, he, he rocked the boat so significantly that the religious leaders down in Jerusalem had to send a delegation up there to the Jordan River and say, what in the world? People were flocking to hear this. Why wouldn't they? They had studied these Old Testament prophets. They knew it had been four centuries of quiet from God. And now all of a sudden this guy is quoting from Isaiah and saying, prepare the way of the Lord. He's coming. And the delegation from Jerusalem said, are you, are you that one? He said, no. No, I'm not. But he's coming. Recorded in verse 7 and 8, of Mark's gospel. John was preaching and saying, after me, one is coming who is mightier than I, and I'm not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will, be baptized, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And there it is. Man, if you would have been there that day, how exciting would that have been? Now you're hearing the words that had been spoken by the Old Testament prophets. I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all mankind. In this age of messianic blessing, it's going to come. And then the voice, John the Baptist, says, it's here. It's come. And then that day when Jesus shows up and he says, behold, the Lamb of God, he takes away the sin of the world. Can you imagine the excitement that must have happened in the lives of people? Could this really be true? Is it happening Today, in our day and age, um, just a few verses later, 
Jesus is baptized by John in the Jordan water and then the heavens open and the dove descends, that symbol of the Holy Spirit coming. The voice Jesus hears is, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the coming of new era, new covenant era blessings. Are we on the precipice of of all this being unfolded? Of course, you know the story. Jesus begins his ministry, and two and a half, three years later, he's hanging on the cross. We have no king but Caesar. Crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Where was the long-expected new covenant age? Where, where were all these new covenant promises, blessings? Where was the long-awaited outpouring of the Holy Spirit? You're toying with us, God. You're messing with us. Where is it? Now, the night before Jesus was crucified, during that Last Supper meeting with his disciples, he gathers them together, and he, he drops this on them. It's recorded in Luke chapter 22. When he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten, and he said, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood, there it is, the new covenant in my blood. Are you, are you saying, Jesus, that this new covenant time is now upon us? Now, again, the prophets said that this new covenant era would be marked by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So what do you think Jesus now, in those final hours before he's crucified there in that upper room, what do you think he talks to his disciples about? Well, the Holy Spirit. So it's recorded like in John 14. Jesus said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. I'm going away, he said in verse 1 of that chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house there's many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now I'm going to come again. I'll receive you unto myself. But until I come back, I'm going to ask the Father, and he's going to send you the spirit of truth. Verse 26 of chapter 14. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. The next chapter, John 15, when the Helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. Go on to the next chapter, chapter 16. But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And verse 13, it says, and when he comes, and when he comes, the spirit of truth will guide you into all this truth. Here's the point. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit's going to come. It says in Acts chapter 1, after 40 days of Jesus um, being with his disciples after he was resurrected, he gathered them together and he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John the Baptist, he baptized you with water, 
but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And notice what Jesus adds, not many days from now. John the Baptist had said, once coming after me, I'm not worthy to untie the thong of a sandal. I baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And now Jesus adds, and it's going to happen not many days from now. And there it is again. The promise of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Just a few days before, a few weeks before, he was with the disciples in that upper room taking that chalice of wine and he said, this represents the new covenant in my blood. And then he teaches them about the, the Holy Spirit and now he's saying, not many days from now, he's coming. And the new covenant age of Holy Spirit-induced blessings was just about to begin. So excited was Peter, and we'll see this when we get into chapter 1 of Acts. So excited was Peter, it was, they're gathered there on the Mount, Mount of Olives, and Peter's saying, I, I, is it now you're going to restore the kingdom to, Jerusalem, uh, to Israel? Is it now we're going to do it now? Of course, they had the best interest because they were going to reign and rule with, with Jesus and his kingdom. Is it now? And G Jesus says, Guys, it's not for you to know the times of the epochs that the Father has set. You just be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost part of the world. They go to Jerusalem after Jesus ascended in heaven and they wait just like Jesus had told them to do. And then it happened. Now, take your Bibles, and we'll just read that portion real quickly in Acts chapter 2. We'll get into this in more detail in a few weeks, but Acts chapter 2. There they are, <clears throat> awaiting to Jerusalem. Jesus, for 40 days, was teaching of these coming blessings. Not many days from now, and 10 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. On the day of Pentecost, 50 days after the Passover feast, they were all gathered together, it says in verse 1, in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a, no, a noise from like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of, of fire distributing themselves, and they rested upon each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. There it is. It happened. The day of Pentecost arrives, just like Jesus said, you're going to be endowed with power. You're going to be baptized. You're going to be immersed and identified fully with the third person of the Trinity as the Old Testament prophets had predicted. And it happened on that day of Pentecost. The new covenant era had begun. What Isaiah, Ezekiel, Joel, the Old Testament prophets had predicted, what had been promised to Abraham, all the world is going to be blessed. What had been promised through David, he's going to come and he's going to sit on your throne forever. All these Old Testament blessings and the promises of the New Testament era was tied to the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and there he was. <laughs> but, but wait a minute. Um, the Old Testament predicted that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit would coincide with this, with this coming he, this head crusher, this one that had been predicted 
from Genesis chapter 3, the, the coming anointed one, the Messiah, as Isaiah told him, uh, described him as the servant of the Lord. The Messiah is supposed to come. That's, it's, it's a package deal. The new covenant blessings is the return of the Messiah and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit all kind of happening here. And the Holy Spirit had now come. But where was Jesus? Well, he was up in heaven, right? He, they saw him ascend in the clouds. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. So what is going on here? The Spirit of God is there, the third person of the Trinity, but the second person of the Trinity is AWOL. Where is he? You can't have a, a new covenant era without the new covenant king. You can't have the, 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 the kingdom blessings that were promised by the Old Testament prophets without the king. It, there's this disconnect going on. What in the world is happening? Can you imagine how confusing this would have been for the, uh, these early followers of Jesus? It's <laughs> just not the way, you know, it's supposed to go. Now, the very next chapter, chapter 3, turn there with me, uh, Peter attempts an explanation of this. They heal a man, a miraculous healing takes place in chapter 3. And then starting in verse 13, he begins to explain this. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate, whom he had decided to release. You disowned the holy and righteous one. You asked for a murderer. You know, give us Barabbas, Barabbas. And you put to death, verse 15, the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead. And Peter goes on explaining, it's on the basis of that resurrected name, the name of Jesus, this person stands before you whole. But verse 17, but now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance. Just as your rulers did also. But, he says in verse 18, but the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of the prophets, that his Messiah, the Christ, would suffer, he's fulfilled it. Therefore, verse 19 Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order for the times of refreshing to come, may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus, the Christ, appointed to you. So what is Peter figuring out here? There is this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. The new covenant era seems to be happening, but, but the Messiah is gone. He's in heaven so what has to happen? Well, you Jews, you disowned him. That's what happened. You asked for a murderer. You turned your back on your Messiah, the Christ. Now, that was in fulfillment, Peter says, of, of, of God's plan. But there's something that has to happen now. For all this to come together, you've got to repent. You've got to change your mind about who this Jesus was that you crucified. And you've got to accept who he is. He is the Messiah. So repent, return, so that, he says, the times of refreshing will come and he will send back Jesus, 
the Messiah appointed for you. So as Peter is trying to make sense of this thing, he's saying, until the Jewish people to whom the promises have been given change their perspective of who Jesus is, we're kind of in a state of no man's land. And so, repent. Change your perspective about Jesus. Accept him as your Messiah. And when you do, he's going to return. And all those new covenant era blessings and promises are all going to begin. And we're going to get to what the prophets had prophesied. It'll all come together. Well, <clears throat> as we keep, and we'll keep reading the book of Acts, it, it didn't go over. Acts chapter 6, we'll see that um, in chapter 7, that uh, one of the early leaders of the church, a man by the name of Stephen, is martyred. The religious leaders in Jerusalem all of a sudden raise the bar, they turn up the heat, and they go after these guys with a vengeance. Acts chapter 8, a great persecution set in. The people turned their back the religious leaders of judaism they were they were going to have nothing to do with it and they reject the message repent return so that the times of refreshing will come all those blessings will come of the new covenant era and jesus will return and they said we'll have nothing of it and the persecution sets in, and they're scattered out of Jerusalem, scratching their heads, wondering what in the world is going on. Now, if that wasn't confusing enough, like this is not the way it's supposed to be scripted, right? The Jews are going to repent, and Jesus is going to return, and we're going to, he's going to reign on the throne of David in Jerusalem, and everything that had been promised, the world's going to be put back together again, and we're going to be in this time of eternal messianic blessings. And, but it's not happening. They're rejecting it. If that wasn't confusing enough, what happens in chapter 10 of Acts, as we'll see months from now, um, uh, is, <laughs> is even more confusing. When God tells Peter, this great Jewish apostle, there's a guy down in Caesarea, uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's a Roman centurion, he's a Gentile, I want you to go to him. And Peter says, there's no way I'm going to do that. I'm a good Jewish boy. I'm not going to do that. What are, you, what are you asking? Just do it, God says. And through a, a miraculous some things, he shoves Peter out the door. So he comes to Cornelius' home and he knocks on the door. And he goes into Cornelius' home and he begins to tell him about Jesus. And an amazing thing happens. It says in Acts chapter 10, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were listening to the message. And all the circumcised believers, the Jews who came with Peter, were amazed. That's an understatement. They were shocked out of their gourd. What in the world is happening? Because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Now, wait a minute. That's not how it's scripted. Read the Old Testament. I'm going to make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. I'm going to pour out my spirit on you. And now these Gentile dogs, are the, the spirit of God is falling upon them and, and a centurion, Roman centurion on top of it? This is not how the early believers thought it was going to happen. 
and yet there it was. Peter's got to go back in chapter 11, the next chapter, explain all this to James and John and the head muckamucks of the Christian church in Jerusalem. And he says, basically, what, what was I to do? Get off my back. He said, the Holy Spirit fell upon them. There was the outpouring like it was on us on the day of Pentecost. And so God's plan is being unfolded in a very unique twist of ways that even Gentiles are going to be a part of, of, of this new covenant blessing, this, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Extremely confusing. And so God raises up an educated Jew, a Pharisee by the name of Saul of Tarsus, miraculously saves him in Acts chapter 9 on the road to Damascus where he was going to go to go kill some Christians. And he comes to faith in Jesus. And for over a decade, God puts Saul of Tarsus, his name now is Paul, for over a decade, he puts them on the backside of the wilderness and he personally instructs them on these confusing things of the heart of God. The mystery, Paul writes about it. I, it was made known to me a, a mystery that, that the Gentiles also are part of this program. A wonder of wonders that he says in Romans chapter 11 as he writes that book, the Gentiles are actually grafted into the rich root of the Abrahamic promises, of the Davidic promises, of all those Old Testament New Covenant promises. Gentiles are brought in and grafted in with the Jews. And God used the Apostle Paul to unpack this and explain this. He said and wrote it to the Galatians this way, He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And that's exactly what was happening. The Gentiles were receiving the promise of the Spirit. Now let's step back. Okay, sin enters the world. Genesis chapter 3 after God's perfect creation. Messes everything up, but God promises there's an eternal plan of redeeming it all back to himself. He's going to reassert his glory on his, in his creation. But it's going to be on his timetable. Abraham, I'm going to choose you and your family, and I promise you in my covenant with you, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed. David, your lineage, someone is going to sit on that throne, your throne in Jerusalem forever. I promise you, and yet sin and sin and sin and more sin takes place. And yet the prophets come and he speaks to the prophets and he said, there's going to be a new covenant. I'm going to write my law on your hearts. I'm going to forgive your sins, your iniquities. I will remember no more because I'm going to cause you to walk in my path and my way because I'm going to pour out my spirit. And there's the key. When that spirit outpouring takes place, everything is going to change. But the Jews rejected the message of the prophets. They rejected the message of Jesus. They rejected the message of the apostles of the early chapters of Acts. And so God moves out into the Gentile world. And he grafts us into the rich root of the new covenant blessings. Now, is that the end of the story? It's been going on for 2,000 years. Well, we know it's not the end of the story. The angels told the disciples in Acts chapter 1 when he, Jesus ascended into heaven, they're sitting up there, you know, gawking, looking up in the clouds. And the angels come back and said, this Jesus who just went up is going to come back in the same way. But just be his witnesses. Be my witnesses, Jesus said. 
in your Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and uttermost part of the world. Don't worry about the times or the epochs that the Father has set. Jesus is coming again. And we know from the Old Testament scriptures that when Jesus returns again, he's going to return in power and might and every, all the completion of the new era, the new covenant era, and the New Testament messianic blessings are going to be fulfilled. Jesus is going to reign in the throne, on the throne of David in Jerusalem, and there will be righteousness and peace. He's going to put everything back together again, and there will be wholeness and shalom on this world that has never been seen since the perfection of Eden. Jesus is going to return. He's promised that. So what does it mean for us today? What does it mean for us as we go home today facing the ugly reality of, of a world gone mad, of runaway inflation, of trying to make ends meet? What does it mean today for someone who gets that doctor's prognosis that isn't good? What does it mean for that person in an unfulfilled marriage or a relationship? What does it mean for the single mom who's trying to raise three kids and just can hardly put two coins together to pay next month's rent or is behind by three months? It means everything that the Holy Spirit has been outpoured 2,000 years ago. It means everything. And though God's plan is still being unfolded, and though Jesus hasn't returned to set up his kingdom, it means for us today, as the Apostle Paul explains, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That in God's divine plan, he said that whenever anyone puts their trust in him, for their eternal salvation. In that moment of faith, he's going to pour out the Holy Spirit of promise into each one's heart. In that moment of faith, we are totally changed. All things have become new. All the old has passed away. It means that, as Peter wrote in his second epistle, he gives us everything we need for life and godliness. It means that the very presence of God dwells within every believer in Jesus Christ. And why? Just so that we can have a happy life? No. Because he's fulfilling his plan. I want you to be my witnesses. I want to reassert my glory in this world. I'm going to use you to do it, and I'm going to put my presence within you. And for 2,000 years, whether for good or for bad, the church of Jesus Christ, the body of Christ, the ecclesia, the called out ones, have been proclaiming the good tidings and the good news of a Messiah who's come, who's died on the cross, who's paid for our sins, who has been raised from the dead, and is going to come again one day in victory. It means everything. If you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior today, it means everything that the moment you trusted Christ as your Savior, God in the third person of the, of the Trinity, came in fullness into your life. He dwells within us. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You know, and Paul will write in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, he said this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, he says, is merely, catch this, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 14, is merely the down payment 
of the glories that are to come. Just the down payment. Meaning, you can't believe what it's going to be like when we all get to heaven or when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom here on earth. Because the Holy Spirit is merely the down payment. You see, folks, it means for us that we have a calling and we have a task. Holy Spirit, God's work in our life is just not so that we can have now a happy existence. We can raise our kids, hopefully, in peace. We can find a good college for them. We can build our retirement portfolio. We can uh, head off, uh, you know, to uh, retirement in some warm climate and, uh, you know, uh, enjoy the rest of our existence and then die. <laughs> it means he has empowered us with his presence to accomplish his work of proclaiming his excellencies of this world. We are not our own. We've been bought with a price and we are called to glorify God. We are people on a mission. And the way we say it in our, our, our uh, mission statement here is we want to prepare and deploy dependent followers, disciples of Jesus Christ, who change their world for Christ as we're being changed by him. And folks, I've been a Christian a long time. Grew up in a Christian home, saved when I was five years old. I want to be a preacher since I was five years old. I want to go to Dallas Seminary ever since I was in sixth grade. Done all that. Pastored two wonderful churches, one in rural Nebraska and 32 years here. But sometimes I wonder if I'm just scratching the surface of what God is wanting of us, of me. He has empowered us with his presence not to sit, soak, and sour, but to be the mighty people of God to go forth into this world and proclaim the good news of Jesus and change this world, not be changed by it. The last time I checked and read the news, things aren't going so well in the state of the church, at least here in this country. And so my prayer is that as we study the book of Acts, we'll see what God can do through a people wholly devoted to him. And we'll see the triumph of the gospel through the pages of those 28 chapters of Acts. And we, this church, will get excited about the possibilities of what God wants to do in our life to be change agents for his glory in this world. So let's embark on that book of Acts together and see what God's going to do. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'll give us a, a fresh vision for what you would have for us as a, as a church family. And I know, Father, there's so many good things going on here and and, and places of the world, we're going to hear a little bit about that in the next couple of weeks as, um, as we have some guests coming. But, Father, um, <clears throat> I just wonder sometimes if we're, if we're running on all cylinders here. Me personally in my life. If you have blessed us, according to Ephesians 1, if you've blessed me with every eternal, every blessing in the heavenlies if you have deposited your power through the third person of the trinity into my life if i am a new creation in christ and old things have passed away and all things have become new um, then what what is is blocking that from really being exhibited 
Father, I, I just ask that um, we'll be encouraged as we study through the book of Acts. Open our eyes to see um, and to hear from you. And then I just pray, Father, through the power of your Holy Spirit, we will step out in great obedient faith and be the change agents you've called us to be and proclaim your glory in this world. I pray in Christ's name, amen.